Hey there, this is Deep Dive, where we take a deeper look at some scriptures each and every week. I'm Amy. I'm Shane. And welcome to our program today. So today we're going to be talking about wrestling with God. This week we're talking about Genesis 32, 22 through 31. Jacob got up during the night took his two wives, his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River's shallow water. He took them and everything that belonged to him and helped them cross the river. But Jacob stayed apart by himself, and a man wrestled with him until dawn broke. When the man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, he grabbed Jacob's thigh and tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled with him. The man said, Let me go, because the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He said to Jacob, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel, because you struggle with God and with men and one. Jacob also asked and said, tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask for my name? And he pressed Jacob there, blessed Jacob there, excuse me. Jacob named that place Peniel, because I've seen God face to face and my life has been saved. The sun rose as Jacob passed Peniel, limping because of his thigh. So I, so I have a little bit of a strategy question okay. to get the conversation going today because um, I think the lectionary is wonderful because we get to kind of jump all over the place depending upon um, you know what series you're working on. So for us, we're doing the What Disciples Do. So mm-hmm. we've been in Luke, we've been in First and Second Timothy, Jeremiah, and then jumping right into kind of the middle of this story of Jacob. Um, and I'm wondering how you approach that as far as preparing for a sermon when we've not been following recently the story of Jacob's life, his ancestors' lives. Um, so what's your strategy? Yeah, I, I thought about that some because this is an interesting story in that if you've grown up in the church or been, you know, any sort of the Judeo-Christian heritage, this is one of those sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, big tentpole stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, yeah, it's thrown in without any of the context leading up to right. it. And so that's, at least in the sermon, I did a little bit of the context because I think it's important um, to understand that at the beginning of that wrestling match, Jacob could have imagined a whole host of scenarios. So mm-hmm. there he's waiting to, God calls him to go back to his homeland. So he knows he's going to run into his brother and he's just terrified that his brother's going to kill him because it's been 20 years and Jacob's, you know, stolen his inheritance and all these sort of things. Uh, and so I, I wanted at least in the sermon to do a little bit of context because I, I thought that was impro- uh, I thought that was appropriate because mm-hmm. I, I really don't you know it, it takes it's funny it, it seems to take the entirety of the night and maybe even after this man is left for Jacob to have the realize, realization he's wrestling with God mm-hmm. um, and I think maybe the context helps that and, and you're right I mean. Um, this series we've been dealing, you know, a good bit, bit in Luke. We had a couple from Timothy mm-hmm. here or there. Uh, and so you're right, narratively, we're not in Genesis. And so from a strategy standpoint, I guess I just sort of relied on this being a fairly well-known story. And honestly, we're do, we did an exercise in worship. We're talking about what's our goal setting. Uh, and a lot of what we're doing, we're leading up to this. And so I just sort of let it stand on its own. Um, you know, I think there's not... I don't know. There's not a lot of context for Jacob and Esau after this because essentially right. Jacob, 
you know, Jacob's terrified Esau is going to kill him, go to war with him, kill his family. Uh, but Jacob, you know, Esau is actually very happy to see Jacob. And in many ways, to me, it, it seems like the scene out of um, the prodigal son where the father goes mm. and, and welcomes sure. the prodigal home. You know, Jacob, in some ways, is being welcomed as the prodigal by his brother Esau, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is really interesting. But what happens after that is he wants him to go back home with him. And Jacob makes up this whole thing about they need to go a little slower because everyone's tired and ends up going somewhere else. And then that's it. That's that's the last we hear of Esau in the whole narrative. Uh, and so I didn't it, I don't know. It, it was allowed to stand on its own that. And it's just one of the big major stories. So um, it, it's interesting. I did read a lot of different Midrash, different mm-hmm. Jewish teaching about this. And, you know, there, man, there's probably a hundred different interpretations mm-hmm. oh, absolutely. of this. And so I think because of that, this is one of those texts that, for lack of a better term, you you do have license to take a little more liberty with, um, and therefore it doesn't need maybe quite the context some of the others do. But I wanted to do a little because I just I wanted people to understand the sort of transformation I think Jacob went through in the midst of that wrestling match. Yeah. Oh, I think it's vital, honestly, um, because there are some stories and some characters in the Bible that we feel like we know so well, and then you kind of jump into story that happens kind of in the middle, and you may realize, oh, well, I, I may not remember the details of this the way that I that I think I do. Um, so I think it was really helpful to start off with kind of introducing us again into the story of Jacob, particularly what happens for this night for yeah. him. Yep. Yep. Um, so one of the other themes that you talked about or that I heard you talk about um, was doubt. So not to just jump right into a conversation about uh, doubt, but you you seem to pick up on um, Paul Tillich's idea that, yeah, <laughs> that the opposite of faith or the opposite of doubt is not, or how does it go, the opposite? Oh, yeah, yeah. People always try to say the opposite of faith is doubt, but, yeah, I think, yeah. but Tillich argues, yeah, the opposite of faith is certainty. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. right, because Anne Lamott picks up on that mm-hmm. and kind of adds on that certainty point there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very, that's a critical thing to discuss in this modern age because um, I think the answer to sort of modernism for often more traditional um, or conservative branches of the church, more fundamentalist, has been, well, if you have some sort of doubt, bring it to the faith, all we're going to offer you is more certainty. Uh-huh. And so you have this almost, it's almost like an arms race of proof. It's, you know, so it was there for a while, maybe it would have been a little more historical critical construction where we could say, well, we can stand on these texts being accurate because right. here's this chain of custody and we, you know, people have affirmed them. And then if that wasn't enough, we step, we went to inerrancy. And if that wasn't enough, I don't, I honestly, I don't even know what we'll go with after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but if you really dive deep into those, I, at least for me, I, I don't want to condemn a whole portion of Christianity, mm-hmm. but at least for me, I, I find those answers to be wanting. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not satisfactory answers because they're making claims about scripture. No one's ever claimed about scripture. You know, maybe Moses, you know, with his big bushy beard walking down with the carved <laughs> stones, he can make that claim there in that moment. But outside of that, no one's making these claims of this inerrant text. And so um, if doubt is seen as this enemy that can only be remedied with certainty, mm-hmm. I just, within that scenario, there's no room for faith. I mean, <laughs> it's, as Christians, we're not supposed to, if it was all just certain, Christian, Christianity would be science. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't sure. be religion. There wouldn't be any need for hope. Uh, there wouldn't be any need, frankly, for faith because it just would be what it would be. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so this isn't to deny that there will come a time where things will be what they will be. Um, but that's not this time, you know, that, that's, that's when Jesus returns. That's when, you know, that's the eschatology that's in the end, uh, where the, as the benediction said, well, God's kingdom will be all in all. Um, and so I, I think it's interesting because we create this, particularly if you've grown up in a more conservative stream of the church or a shame based system, it creates this, uh, the system where you just, you literally are ashamed that you doubt. But the funny thing is the doubt, if God's, all of God is ask, asking of us is sort of like an honest response to God's presence. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't get much more honest sure. than that doubt. And so if, if there's any being in existence that can handle somebody's doubt, I think it's God. There's no insecurity there. Mm-hmm. And and so I honestly, in my life, I feel like a lot of my growth areas, my mm. growth times, have come through the engagement of doubt. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not something I run for any, uh, anymore. That doesn't mean it's comfortable. I mean, right, I, right. I want to be clear about that. I'm like, it feels better to be certain. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that is the accurate, accurate sort of like steady state of the faith. Sure, sure, <laughs> you sure. You know, the steady state of the faith is like, oh, what am I doing? I'm wrestling with this. It doesn't make sense. Uh, to me, I connect that to the to uh, St. John of the Cross and the Dark Night of the Soul. Absolutely. That's how I connect to myself. Yep. I, I connect it to the little anecdotal telling of um, the the end of Mother Teresa's life where she essentially talks about being in the Dark Night of the Soul where she's being receiving none of the sort of like, oh, I feel close to you, this feels mm-hmm. great, rewards of faith, and yet she's still remaining faithful. She has maybe some respite from that at the tail end of her life. Um, but it's interesting just to use her because, I mean, if, if we want to pick a modern saint, she's probably the best example. And yet she's someone that if we were to read her diaries, right. which oh, we've absolutely. seen some of them, is yeah. just riddled uh, your doubt. Um, you know, I've, I know there's a Catholic phrase, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Uh, there's a band, Switchfoot, that's kind of mm-hmm. got popular. Their very first album has a um, a song dedicated to that sort of thing. I think that's an interesting thing, doubting one's doubts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think I don't think they're necessarily calling one to sympathy, but they're calling someone to engage those things about, you know, maybe there's an answer here. Or maybe maybe we're not going to get 100% of the way there, but even an incremental, uh, I don't know. Incremental improvement adds up to something. Um, I don't know. I think the church could do a lot of good with that. Of yeah. you know, it's <laughs> uh, to put it in emoji language. I think it's yeah. like you know, the church should we be willing to you know just sometimes do this emoji? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So so when I was in, in divinity school, actually, I was part of a project called the um, Faith Doubt. Project mm. And so basically what we did was interview just dozens and dozens of people um, and invite them really just to share their mm. stories. Um, and those interviews eventually were actually turned into a play, um, kind of holding together, like, you know, how, how do faith and doubt, how do they mm. relate to one another and how are they both beneficial? So I really resonate with what you're saying yeah. about those periods of growth that perhaps when you're going through yeah. That it doesn't quite feel yeah. like this is going to be a period where I really grow. Yeah. Um, but then on the other side of that, being able to look back and see, you know, if I had not, uh, that's what I heard over and over again. If I had not gone through that, if I had not gone through that, mm-hmm. if I had not gone through that, then I would not be where I am now. Yeah. To me, I, one of the sort of like sobering things I always come back to is when, you know, I, we all have our favorite books of the Bible. Mine tend to be mm-hmm. Luke Acts. I like reading them just because it's, it seems like this, you know, well, it is a larger narrative from a singular author. Right. And, um, 
Uh, one of the things I've always struck by is how much turbulence is mm. in the in the sort of like the hashing out of what are the key beliefs and of those early followers of the way. You know, I, I preached a few months ago on the the story of the conversion of Cornelius and how upending that would have been for mm. Peter and how upending that was for the church, but ultimately this council in Jerusalem uh, over a series of different meetings and testimony from people come to these compromises. And so uh, they just have this incredibly narrow set of beliefs or things that you should be abstaining from. You know, Jesus is Lord is basically what's asked of people. And there's these series of, you know, three commands that, you know, you need to follow these things. And, and that it isn't even the big one. Actually, you know, let's get rid of circumcision. Let's get rid of this big sign of God's grace there. Uh, And so I'm struck by like, if this early first century church in the midst of enormous persecution can somehow exist with this incredibly small corpus of beliefs mm-hmm. like here we are at the benefit of you know 2000 nearly 2000 years later where we have book after book after book uh, written you know the least we can do is be gracious to one another when we are <laughs> yes. willing to question something because if peter is willing to question all of sort of his holiness codes in order to and, and be willing to discard them because this uh, this Roman centurion and his family has the spirit. The least I can do is is be patient with someone working out their faith in fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm struck by that. I'm struck by verses like, you know, now we just see, the, but, uh, you know, in a mirror dimly, you know, mm-hmm. that this idea that like, uh, it's just ludicrous to me to think that we could arrive at some point where we have absolutely certainty, absolute certainty on something. I think you can be riddled with doubt and still say the phrase, Jesus is Lord. I think you can be riddled with mm-hmm. doubt even about the phrase Jesus is Lord, but say it, you know, hoping to believe that more fully. Yeah. You know, um, I, as a being in a reformed tradition, I think it's humbling to remind ourselves that, uh, you know, grace and even faith itself is a gift of God. It's, you know, it's not, I can, it's not like I can just generate more faith in and of myself. Right. I uh, think hard enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like if I just go, if I go off in the woods and I just, you know, try to, I don't know, you know, eat the locust and honey, do, mm-hmm. you know, do all the things I'll just generate it in and of myself. Um, and so we just need to get out of that rut of thinking that way. Cause it, it's a lot of shame. It runs a lot of people off. Um, especially, I mean, the church should be a place full of doubters hoping to find more faith. So. Absolutely. And to me the the kind of the doubt aspect of what you were talking about, um, flowed really nicely into this idea of persistence mm-hmm. being one of the yeah. main themes um, in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So I was hoping you could say a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's funny. What got me thinking about this is um, I'm a I'm a big dude. So you know, like I'm six mm-hmm. five. I've been I've been fat. I've been muscular. I've been all over the place. I'm just an intimidating intimidating presence. Super scary. But but, but despite all of that. I've been in one fight in my life, yeah. you know, and then like, I didn't even throw a punch. I just got a black eye in high school because I was, you know, I deserved it in as much as somebody deserves it. But, um, and, but one of these things, knowing this is I, I, I'm, I might be big and might be intimidating, but like, man, you don't want me in a fight. <laughs> and the reason you don't want me in a fight is I don't have experience. And like, I don't have that like crazy person fight instinct. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, oh, so yeah. it's like the last person you want to fight is like this crazy skinny guy who's just willing to go all out right. for the fight. Yeah. And so like, as I imagine who Jacob is, that's sort of the archetype I'm imagining mm. of like, like. He wasn't big and strong like his brother. He didn't have the hairy arms. He didn't have all those things. 
things, he stayed in the tent with his father and mm-hmm. yet he was scrappy. <laughs> and so like, I just think like, don't you just, you know, not to fight crazy. And Jacob is that. And so like, what is that? What is it that he has? And to me, it just, it's that perseverance. He's, he's going to get what he wants. And mm-hmm. for Jacob, it's going to, you know, cheat, steal, bargain, all the things he can do. And, um, I don't know. It reminds me, Oh, what was the parable we did a few years ago of the, um, Oh, it, it connects really well with a, a sermon I did a couple of weeks ago talking about this, uh, the, the steward, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, the steward that does, you know, he, he gets rumor, the master gets rumor that yes, he's not yes, managing yes. well. Oh, and everyone yeah, yeah. says, Oh, he's coming to fire you. And the guy makes all these shady deals to preserve himself. The master gets there and you think the master would be angry, but he's done everything he can do to save his own tail. And yeah. the master's like, Oh, uh-huh. that's commendable. Yeah. I'm very impressed. You know, so like i I don't know. Maybe that's Jacob. I mean, that's that's the model we're talking about here. So it just strikes me over and over that the the, the message is not necessarily cheating, but the message is like we have we God has given us so many resources, mm-hmm. and God has given us the resource of the spirit, the Holy Spirit to endure, to persevere. Um, and those are those languages that you just hear over and over in the epistles and Acts and Revelation. You know, endure, endure, endure. God is ultimately triumphant. And so if you know the message isn't necessarily about winning the battle. Jacob didn't win. The the battle, he walked away with a limp. Mm-hmm. Um, but the message is, uh, you know, to essentially keep keep in the match, keep wrestling with God, because God is willing to wrestle. God's not going to be the one that ends the match. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's something beautiful about that, because it, it, it removes the responsibility of my own faith from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's merely, it's to participate and trust God in that process. You know, that's the, to use the sports term, people often would say, trust the process, trust the process. Sure. It might look bleak now, trust the process. It'll get better. So, mm-hmm. well, now we come to the time of the show that we are going to do recommendations, things we've been reading, listening, mm-hmm. watching, pondering, daydreaming, uh, dance routines, right? That's always Absolutely. About this one. Definitely yeah. dance routines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we just, uh, like to share those with you, things you could dive into this week. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I have I have one I'm actually really excited about um, that came up because of the scripture um, this week. So this is a book that came out probably in the early '90s, but the author of this book is Frederick Buechner, mm-hmm. who is my favorite author and theologian, <laughs> and he has a book called Son of Laughter. And it actually walks you through in a very gritty and real kind of way through the life of Jacob. Oh. Um, and it's to me, it's an invitation to see this name as a person who lived and breathed and had life. Mm. Um, so I think it's just a really wonderful way to enter into the story. And mine is nothing like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm a big podcast listener. We live here in Nashville. We're going to spend a lot of time in the car. So I'm not really a music listener, despite being a musician, playing myself. I don't find myself listening to music a lot. I find myself listening, uh, just driving in a quiet car sure. right. <laughs> or, or listening to music, uh, or I'm sorry, listening to a podcast. And so I have one I listened to a couple weeks ago that I would commend to you. It's very long. It's 96 minutes. It's very heady. But if you're willing to engage it, it's going to be pretty eye-opening in some areas. It's from a, a show called The Ezra Klein Show on the Vox Network. Mm-hmm. He interviews lots of authors. Uh, the title of the episode is called We Don't Just Feel Emotions, We Make Them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in it, he interviews a professor of psychology from Northeast University. I'm trying to find her name. Her name is Lisa Feldman Barrett. Uh, she's written a book called How Emotions Are Made, uh, The Secret Life of the Brain. Um, and she's studying um, just 
literally this sort of brain-body connection mm. about how, like, not only do we, not only do our emotions create physical reactions, our physical reactions can sometimes create scenarios where we apply emotions to them. So I'm someone who, over my life, has dealt with just different physical things, and I realize sometimes my body can do things that I just can't control. But I've been in these moments where my body feels like it's really on edge, and if my, I might want to think that's anxiety, but it's not. It's just my body doing its thing. Um, and it's a lot more complicated than that, but it's a really interesting way that gets you in your own head of like, why do you feel the things you feel? And mm-hmm. what? Are, and, and more importantly, you know, as adults that are trying to manage our anxieties and manage our emotions, uh, what are the ways that we can sort of intervene and just mm-hmm. say, you know, kind of more direct the way we want to feel in things? Uh, it's really interesting. Um, it, I don't know. It might might totally change the world. Might make you say, "Whoa, that was a long ninety six minutes." But <laughs> I think it, I would definitely commend it to you. So, awesome. uh, as always, our sermons you can find them down in the uh, the show notes. You can listen to them, uh, subscribe, like us, all those different things. And we'll see you back next week on Deep Dive with Shane and Amy. See ya. Bye.